I think you need to find something that you in uh, something that brings you pleasure because then it's not a job. If you're enjoying doing what you're doing, then any of the hard things that come along, you, you can put it up with that. So find something that interests you and that you enjoy. Age is just a number. So at any age, I'm too young to do that or I'm too old. I would say at any age you can jump in. Some people want to leave things till oh, till the children grow up. You can do things while the children are still around. So you can do anything at any age at any time, really. It's just really your mental attitude and having a, a can-do attitude and keeping God close. Uh, I brought God really close and that actually helped me through. This is the Fit Investor Podcast where we talk about how to live a more holistic life of being fit, not only financially, but physically and faithfully. We'll be joined by experts in all these areas to share their experiences and actionable and practical tips so that you can be a fit investor too. So now let's join our hosts, Kale Delaney and Brenna Carls. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Fit Investor. I'm your host, Kale Delaney, here with Brenna don't bother me in a couple of weeks because I'll be on a cruise, Carl's. And today, our special guest, who is gracious enough to be up with us at 1.30 in the morning from where she is in Australia, is Karen Guilford. And Karen is the founder and director of Stylish Stays, a thriving enterprise specializing in short-term stay accommodations in the vibrant city of Brisbane. She has an impressive portfolio of 12 apartments located in the heart of Brisbane CBD, She's recognized as an Airbnb ambassador and super host and delivers a consistently stellar five-star guest experience. She's also a proud member of the Million Dollar Club with NBNB Professionals Network, a testament to her expertise and success in the short-term rental industry. Karen's journey into property management came into it after a 20-year career in the hospitality industry within churches. And at the age of 60, she and her husband, Michael, faced a financial crossroads while they were contemplating retirement. And their superannuation funds fell short of sustaining their desired lifestyle and only multiple properties made them eligible for a pension. With a pivotal moment, she discovered a webinar entitled How to Make a Six-Figure Income Using Other People's Property, and she dove all in. So now Karen and Michael seized the opportunity and ventured into the short-term stay business. Dedication and hard work paid off, enabling her husband, Michael, to retire in 2022. And now Karen runs this excellent stylish stays business. That has not only secured her retirement, but also elevated the standards of short-term accommodation in Brisbane CBD. Welcome to the Fit Investor, Karen. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And again, thank you again for joining us. So late for you. And <laughs> also congratulations on being an author, along with Brenna as well, in the upcoming Hospitable Host 3, which is going to be coming out shortly. Yeah. Yeah, so, Did you already submit yours, Karen? Sorry? Did yes, I have submitted mine. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, when, actually, when is that coming out? Do you guys know? Uh, launching it in February, I think. Yeah. Okay. I think we're launching in February, like a, the launch party or, or what have you then. Gotcha. Gotcha. Awesome. Excellent. Excellent. Karen, I know as you were sharing with us and as you shared in uh, your bio as well, one of your big themes for your chapter that'll be coming out in the book as well is starting over at 60, which that's the time when most people are, you are looking at finishing their career, finishing their lifestyle, going into the so-called 
dream of retirement, but you took this opportunity to turn it into a whole nother thing and reinvent yourself. So why don't you take us back a little bit, take us through your journey in the, the hospitality industry within the churches and, and then this transition, not to retirement, but to uh, a new career, a new reinvention. Yes, I've been working in churches since 2000, a couple of, or three churches in that period of time, mainly in hospitality, center management, I've worked in large buildings that have emptied during the week. So basically I was employed to make it busy during the week as well as on the weekends. So we had different groups come in after school, dance groups, gymnastics. Then we have concerts on the weekend or school would come to use our auditorium for awards and things. And that was my job to get those people in through the church to just help bring some income into the church. And then my last church that I worked at, I looked after hospitality, so catering and events. And it was a, a fairly large church, so I used to cater for anybody from two to 4,000 people. So that, that was an exciting time as well. It was a case, though, that working in churches, not you know, a large income, and so superannuation wasn't going to be enough to sustain us into the future. And because we do own a few properties, we're not entitled to any government pension here. So we were between a rock and a hard place. It's okay to have assets, but there's no money coming in to actually help you live. And we do doing some travel and things like that. So we've always looked for a business that gave you a passive income, something that you can put together and work at, but that you can actually work from afar. So we took on this business back in 2018. I went to my cousin's place interstate and she'd seen this webinar and it had actually talked about how to make a six-figure income using other people's properties. And I didn't quite understand what that meant. And I thought, wow, What's that about? It sounds very interesting because Michael and I were interested in properties and that sort of business, but we didn't have money to be buying lots and lots of properties. So I listened to this webinar with Michael and we looked into it further and found out that it was a program that was being sold to us, an A to Z of how to get into this business. It told you how to style, how to speak to real estate agents, because there's three ways you can get into the business. You can actually rent properties and with the owner's permission, the real estate agent's knowledge and a special clause in the tenancy agreement. You could actually then Airbnb it or put it on booking.com or whatever. You could manage properties for other people and take a commission. In Queensland, we have to be fully a full real estate agent's license. So we've got to be registered to do that. And the third way was to own a property yourself and uh, be able to rent, put that on the short, to the short-term market. So this couple from the Sunshine Coast, an entrepreneurial couple, had been doing this for some years, decided that they had gone through all the pitfalls, decided that they would put an A to Z, like a little, like a university degree, really, together, package it up and sell it, which was quite good for them, quite lucrative for them. And yeah, and they gave us lots of support and it was wonderful. We really, and we really thought that this is what we want to do. We'll give it a go. 
we'll put our all into it and see if it does work, that we can actually get a six-figure income out of this. And it was also sold to the fact that if you've got your tech stack, you can do this business anywhere in the world. And so with your laptop or your phone, you can, your guests don't know where you are and you can deal with your guests queries and so forth and, and make the bookings and still be on holidays. So yeah. that's what we did. Wow. So a few things in there. One, I guess, is the course was, I think, so it went over all those different models, both the arbitrage, the co-hosting and the ownership. Yeah, right? it went through the whole scenario. So we decided to do the arbitrage method. Okay. That's where we started. We found it difficult at first because real estate agents were not interested in us doing short-term rental out of the apartments. They wanted long-term tenants. They didn't quite understand the fact that we were going to be a long-term tenant. We would do all the rules that a long-term tenant has and that we would keep the place looking like a showroom all the time and it would be kept and maintained because that's what we needed to do for our business. They would just think, oh, there's all these people coming through and it's going to trash the joint. But that didn't, that doesn't happen. Right. But how did you talk them into letting you basically arbitrage the apartments and things like that? We would have seen a hundred or so properties initially with lots of no's. And it's really just being persistent and knowing that you're getting to get closer to a yes. And in the end, one real estate agent said yes. And we now have nine, uh, we, we have seven of our properties now with that one real estate agent. And so that, they like us so much that they've even rung us and, and told us, oh, we've got this property. Would you be interested? And they've also got people that have contacted them who want to do short-term stays, but they don't do short-term rentals in their portfolio. So they've actually referred them on to me. And so I've been able to help people that are relocating or whatever that want a place just for a couple of months. So it's worked. It's a good relationship. And then I also now have two other real estate agents that are on board and I could use my first real estate agency as a reference and so they could talk me up to the new real estate agents, but it's not easy. It's not easy for the real estate agents to, they, they wouldn't even go back to their owners. They would say, oh no, we just won't do it. Yeah. So initially it was hard. And I know that some of the people who were, did this university course as well, there was lots of people that didn't get off the ground just because you did need to be persistent initially because mm. taking all those no's is hard, but we just kept going and finally got our first yes. And how do we do it? it? Was just asking the same question. It was just keep, keep, keeping on at it, persistent. Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely, and you know what you said there is pretty powerful in, in that not only the persistence, but eventually it led you to that one agent that said yes. That now you have a relationship with that has brought you nine properties, not only properties but also guests as well, mm -hmm. and that right. you can use as a referral for additional agents, additional business, et cetera. And it just goes to show that, that, again, the power of relationships, especially in this industry, you just never know that one contact that can really change your trajectory or, or your business. Being persistent, doing the networking, uh, going to meetups and, and all that type of thing, you just never know what, what may come of it. 
And, and just out of curiosity too, how did you meet that agent? Was it just from cold calling or is it meetups or? We have a, a website called realestate.com and that's where all the rentals are. And you just put in where you want them to be. Like say you go to Brisbane and then you just go to all the inspection times. And it was just meeting agents face to face at inspection times. So it was selling to them yourselves at the time that you were looking at the properties. Okay. I gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. So it's no wrecking because it's face to face and being told no or whatever. And also you didn't want to do it when there's lots of other people around looking. They're looking to rent the place themselves. So there were lots of other people in the room. So we'd stand back a little bit and wait till they moved on and tried to talk to the real estate agent at the, at that time. Yeah. And it was just because one person obviously thought, yeah, why not? Yeah. Yeah. And that's all it takes. And, and yeah, you're right. That is, it's a nerve wracking thing and it's a developed skill to be able to, to do that. And, but it's having that mentality of it, like you had mentioned, yeah, it might've taken a hundred properties or a hundred no's, but every no brings you closer to a yes. That's right. right. And that's the mentality you need to have when you get into that type of scenario. Because uh, otherwise, if you're just looking at the nose, it makes it very easy to to quit. And that's why, that's like right. you said, a lot of people probably didn't get off the ground after going through this course. That's right. uh, I probably was a little persistent because when once we looked at this and decided we'd give it a go, I became disgruntled at work. I felt that I was being micromanaged and there were a lot of things. And then I decided to resign. And so I gave two months notice. So I actually had given myself, I've got to do this now. I've put myself into a position that I've got to, I've got two months to at least get one or two properties up and running so that I can get started when I've left. And that, that's where I was going to go next and, and asking what was your why or what was your motivation mm-hmm. for, for doing it? Setting yourself that kind of deadline certainly helps push the the persistence and get you the motivation. but was it purely a, a financial motivation to get into this industry or, or was there something else that was really pushing you or, or drawing you to this? We like the idea of the real estate. We like the idea of it being able to earn us good money. And we like the idea that we could, when you retire, what do you retire to? What's your reason for getting up in the morning? You've got to have something. I, I, I thought, I felt that yeah, you want a better lifestyle and you want to be able to do what you want to do. But I I didn't want to just get up and sit around. And if you have, if you've got all this time in retirement, it's going to cost you more money to retire because you're sitting around, you've got to entertain yourself and you're not going to work. So there's all those hours that you've got to spend more money, whether it be, oh, I'd love to do travel. That's going to cost you money. You're going to need an income in retirement. So it was retire, approaching retirement that motivated us. It was this opportunity looked like it was going to be a good thing. Yeah. So that's what we thought, what was being sold to us. We wanted to see whether or not it actually worked. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, I I don't know. I think the whole retirement idea is a bit of a misconception that, that people have. And so I think throughout our career, we look towards that day or that time of retirement as this glorified thing that, yeah, we're going to do all these things that we've always dreamed of without really, without strategizing for it, for the most part, a lot of people really don't strategize for it at all. 
and without a plan. And then a lot of people get to that point and it's a rude awakening of they either can't afford the lifestyle that they thought they were going to have, or their health doesn't afford them the lifestyle that they thought they were going to have, or this or that, or the other thing, or yeah, you, you just end up doing nothing. Kind of, you, you lose that sense of purpose and that's one of the most destructive things physically and mentally that happens to people as they get older and go into this retirement phase. They lose that sense of identity that they've had for the past, whatever, 40 plus years. They're, they stop, they lose the community that they had from that career and that type of thing. They're, they stop being physically active. They just really deteriorate mentally and physically. And that's why really a rapid is a generality, of course, but really a rapid deterioration in, in people's well-being from the point they retire to shortly thereafter, if they don't have something that's keeping them going. It's great that you had that mindset and that mentality of we don't want to retire and just sit on the beach all day long. We want to have something to do, have something to work towards and be able to support that lifestyle that we do actually want to have through the traveling, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, um, making money so while she's on a beach. Is what she make it like while you're on the beach. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> but you are near the beach now, so you're making it happen. Yeah, no, that's excellent. That's excellent. and of course, doing it at the the age that you did again, starting over at at sixty. That's a very scary thing, I would think. Mm -hmm. So why don't you just? I know you've explained a bit of your where your mind was, but just take us through perhaps some of the challenges of doing that or were people in your community and family, et cetera, were they supportive of the, this idea or did you have the naysayers or just take us through some of that? Yeah. So Michael and I've always tried to do things through our life together and we've done multi-level marketing and I was a Tupperware demonstrator for many years. And so I think some people thought, oh, here's another one of the ideas that have come up that Karen and Michael are taking on, but we, oh, I'm, I've lost my train of thought there. That's what happens when you get older. <laughs> yeah. So just, it's scary at 60 to start it off, but then actually, to be honest with you, I was quite proud of myself that I did it. Age is just a number. And mm -hmm. so you really shouldn't look at the fact that I'm too old to do this because you're never too old. It is your mental attitude. And I think it keeps you young also to keep yourself mentally active as well as physically active. And yes, people were not sure whether it was the right thing to do because people had never even heard of it, especially the arbitrage. People have their own place or their holiday beach house that they want to rent out and stay in it whenever they want to. So people are aware of that. But a lot of people thought this was a bit like a side hustle, but it's not a side hustle. It's actually a lucrative business when you do it right. And you've got, and we had this support mechanism behind us. Yeah. So that was good. No, no, that's great. What would you say perhaps to somebody who's at that same point, perhaps they are around that age where they've got retirement coming and maybe they don't, they see that, or they realize that they don't have themselves set up, uh, financially like they thought they were going to. And now they're seeing that, that freight train coming down the tunnel. What would yeah. you say to somebody like that or encourage them to start thinking about? Yeah, you do need it in this particular industry. I do think that you need a, a particular mindset and you need 
loads of hospitality and you need loads of customer service skills because guests can be difficult and we've had a few of those. Again, it, all problems can be rectified and, and we can work through them. Talking to other people, if they've got something in mind, I don't think it's ever too, I don't think it's ever too late to start something new. If you've got a passion for something, I think go for it. Some people go, oh no, I'm too old. I couldn't do that. Or I couldn't do what you do. But I don't believe, I don't believe that to be true. I think they, they're, they would say, they probably said that when they were younger as well. So it's their personality that they take into the old age as well. I think that if you're a go-getter when you're young, you'll be a go-getter when you're older. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And so now uh, you've been doing this since 2018, you said, right? Yes, yes. Okay. And uh, yeah, I took a quick look at your page and everything. You get over 1,400 reviews. So then <laughs> uh, you've been doing an excellent job. I think it's a four point, almost a 4.9 overall rating across those 1,400 reviews, which is incredible. What can you think of if there is something that perhaps sets you apart in the way that you run your business or the things that you do for your guests or just again, what kind of in general do you think would set you apart and, and your business apart that makes you successful like that? Yeah. Look, when I was a kid, I worked at McDonald's and uh, they had really good training back then. And their it always was, uh, the customer is always right. Even if they're wrong, the customer is always right. So I would say what sets me apart is I answer my phone to anybody and everybody. So I don't look at my phone and go, I'm not going to answer that. I don't listen to messages and say, I'm not going to get back to them. They're a pain in the neck or whatever. I, it is a 24 seven role because people will contact you at all hours, but it's better than working nine to five and being stuck in an office where you can't go about and do things. So my regular day, like today. So today's, today is, was Tuesday for us. And we, I went out for lunch with a girlfriend in Brisbane, and then I went out for dinner with another girl and a guy tonight. Now, basically that was my work day and my phone was next to me and I would look at it quite a few times. And if I needed to, today, well, I didn't have to, if I needed to, then I'd excuse myself from the table. People understand they got used to me doing that sort of thing, but it's so much better than being, you can't do right. things when you work nine to five. And yeah. also like with even then like doctor's appointments or if you are sick or if you have to have a major surgery that's going to make you stay out and you're worried about, okay, do I have enough sick time? Do I have enough vacation time? My family wants to go here for vacation too, but I already have to take off this week for whatever it may be. And people don't really see that you can do whatever you want. Yesterday I went to the dermatologist when I was still working in the middle of the day, but you can't really do that with a nine to five. That's right. That's right. You don't have to ask permission from anybody to do what you need to do. Yeah. yeah. I like so. being my own boss, actually. And I, and, good. and I like the buck stops with me. If things need to change or things need to be fixed, I don't have to wait for a committee or a leadership person to actually wait for an answer. I can do things myself. Right. And just How along that line. No, go ahead, Brenna. 
I was just saying, I always say that I have an argument with myself because I am the boss and I'm like, I need to request time off. And then I realize that I'm the boss and then the boss says, no, I can't request time off right now. So <laughs> that is one of the, the pitfalls. Um, <laughs> yeah. But along those same lines, though, it, do you have a, a team besides you or is it just you running uh, the show? Yeah. So I, I'm like a one-man band, but I do have a couple of cleaning companies that I use. And I used to only have one cleaning company until they actually they they can cleaners can be a little bit unusual sometimes. It's so a, it's not just in the US then. Yeah. <laughs> and I had they spit the dummy and and so they can just leave you in the lurch. And you know what? Cleaners can make or break your business because yep. having the place clean is probably the number one thing and the number one headache. And and my cleaners are probably my number one headache. But I've got two great cleaning companies with a number of people that I deal with in those companies that they've been allocated to me. And they're also very, I use them for on the ground help. Two of the cleaners actually live in one of the buildings that I have my properties in. And I can ring them up and go, they've lost the keys or they've lock themselves out. Can you let them in? And little things like that. They're my on the ground people and it's worked for me so far. Michael, my husband, he retired last again to retire to what? So he works alongside me now and he's great with maintenance jobs or like the, the toilet roll holders falling off the wall or the toilet seat broke and People bang their baggage against the walls and so there's black marks. So he's gone in and painted walls and things like that. So he's keeping the properties looking top class and and tech, tech stack. That's probably where I might talk to the guests via the Airbnb or Booking.com platforms and or even by phone. When somebody books, it all happens automatically in my system. It's, it blocks off another calendar. The prices are being adjusted with a with a um, price application, and yeah, it, so it's it's just having all the right applications plugged into your property management system that helps you do it. Yeah. So at the moment, I don't have anybody else. I'm thinking maybe next year I will put somebody on. To release me from the phone, from the the, the 24-7 phone situation. But I, I haven't quite worked out in my head what how I would actually do that, how I would pay them, how I would because you can't just say to somebody to work nine to five because some of the work might be at seven o'clock at night or whatever. And it's seven days. Do you want to on the weekends check in and check outs are a busy time when people are wanting to check in early or check out late. And that's probably a big headache because you've got to try and coordinate it. In fact, this side of Christmas, I was just saying, I think I'm going to can early check-ins and late checkouts at the moment because it's just putting too much of a headache on the cleaners to try and get things done in time. Right. Yeah. And you and I are uh, in, in the same boat, very similar. You know, I, I think we have the same roughly the same number of properties and listings that we manage and similar. I'm the one-man show. But I'm at that point, just like you said, where I'm looking at bringing on a VA probably very soon to do just that. Yeah, kind of release release me from the phone and some of those kind of day-to-day -day tasks that really I don't need to be doing. But 
along the same line, because a lot of people ask me that with 12, 12 properties that I own or manage, isn't that too many to do by yourself? Like it's not as doable. I could easily do more if I wanted to, but I think it's a point I don't want to, right? I don't yeah. want to do more just me, right? But to a point, whenever it is for the individual of, yeah, you might be able to continue doing it yourself. But then you're just going to start looking at the value of your time and more and more from that point on. Yeah, that's where I'm at. And it sounds like where you're at in your, your business journey as well. I think with the arbitrage method, you actually earn quite a good income out of 12. We want to go to a maximum of 15. So we're actually 13 now. We put on another one last week. But, the, but I know people that have 60 and 70 properties, but it's under management. They're managing it for other people. But to me, that would be a headache because I'm not only dealing with guests. I also have to make the owners happy and with their income. And I just think that's another nightmare in itself. So I yeah. like the arbitrage method, even though there's more risk because I'm paying all this rent out and rents have just gone through the roof recently because in Australia mortgages, I don't know about America, but in Australia mortgages have doubled in the last couple of years, the interest rates. And so our rents have gone up this year over a hundred dollars a week per apartment. We just, the prices then have to, ref, the prices per night have to reflect the income. So we just put the prices up and people are still staying. So it's working. Yeah. How far are these properties from you respectively, like from the drive wise? So your husband, if he has to do maintenance and things like that. So we, at the beginning of 2022, we moved from the suburbs of Brisbane into Sky Tower, which is where nine of our properties are. And we decided that we would be close to this. We'll be living in the city in a 90 story building and live the life of, of this CBD. We thought that was a bit cool. And we would be close to the business and be able to be right there. So we did that. And then we had done a couple of trips in the last, no, we did a big trip in um, the beginning of this year in Japan and we worked these 12 properties from Japan and we realized we don't actually have to be near the business. In fact, the closer you are in the business, the more you say, oh yeah, I can queue that. Yes, I'll just be down in a moment. I'll go and grab such and such for you. They don't know how to use the stove. Oh, come and help you to use the stove. But now we just, I will FaceTime them to show, because what happens is you get there and they're just not seeing that's the button that you press, but you can do, you can work it over the phone. We've bought a property in 2017 on the Sunshine Coast, which is an hour and a half north of Brisbane CBD. And we bought it with the mindset that we would eventually live there. It's just across the road from the beach. And, and it did a resort and we just, and it was ground floor. So we thought it'd be great for where we're all because we just put it all around. Anyway, so we decided after we'd been to Japan, we thought, you know what? We could actually move up to Alexandra Headland now. And so four weeks ago, we made the move to where we are now on by the beach. So we are an hour and a half away. We haven't yet had to go back in the middle of the night because I said, if something drastic happens, we will just have to say, we'll be there in an hour and a half, but we haven't had to do anything about that yet. Because it's getting close to Christmas and because I am a social person, we do have a lot of Christmas functions to go to and because we just set up a new apartment with furnishing and, and everything. We're going down to Brisbane quite a lot at the moment, but I'm hoping that in once to twice a week. So I'm hoping that 
in the new year when things settle down and we can relax a little bit more up here that we won't need to go down. But I don't mind going down to Brisbane. Um, it's actually the best of both worlds because we even stay in our apartments and actually we're going through each apartment to stay in them. So I think you can really, you can walk into an apartment and go, yeah, this is great. There's nothing wrong here. But when you stay there and you realize, oh, the pillows are flat, we need to buy new pillows or you, you can see where the cleaners haven't really been cleaning behind the lounge, but you don't know that until you've stayed overnight and you're really in it. So that's actually been a benefit that we can keep an eye on things a little bit closer as well. Yeah. And it's nice staying in the city. I don't know. Yeah. And you got 13 ones to jump around in. So you got yourself. <laughs> but yeah, you, you, you know, what you said uh, is exactly true. And, and that's one of the big reasons that I prefer remote investing as well. Mine are a thousand miles away. So it's not, I'm, there's no way I'm going to them. <laughs> it's intentional, right? Because I started out in my local market and I found that similar to you, you know, I'm a very do-it-yourself type of person. And so it was, you know, okay, yeah, I can go there and fix that, or I can go there and do that. And you end up uh, maybe wasting is not the right word, but maybe it is. And you waste a lot of your time doing these tasks that you really shouldn't or don't need to. Whereas your remote investing remotely forces you to build out those systems a bit and, and rely on people a little bit more and build out that team to be able to do it. And that's one of the beauties and, and one of the goals that you had was that you can do it from anywhere. That's one of the beauties of the, the short-term rental industry is you set it up properly, you set it up right, then yeah, you can invest anywhere and you can travel or live anywhere and do it. Exactly. So yeah, it's a great thing. Sometimes and, if uh, you can do it, doesn't mean you should. Like me with electrical work or trying to figure out what wall is load bearing and not doesn't mean I'm going to go and take it down myself because it's just not feasible. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Just don't hire Brenna to do any uh, housework. <laughs> nope. Hey guys, it's Brenna Carl, CEO and co-founder of The Mortgage Shop. When I'm not spending my time searching for the best pizza in town, working out, well because of pizza, or fighting sharks, as Kale likes to say, I spend my time educating clients on the best investment products that will help them build generational wealth and making sure their loan process is as smooth as warm butter on a piece of toast. Call us today to get started with your investment journey at 800-816-7982 or, you know, to talk more about pizza. Talk to you soon. So I want to transition a little bit. We've been talking about the business and how one of the aspects of doing this in, in, in lieu of the traditional retirement really is keeping you, you mentally active, which is a big aspect of, of physical fitness as well. But I'm sure it also keeps you or motivates you to stay physically active in, in one way or another as well. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about that? What does, why is it important to maintain some type of physical activity as you get older? Yeah. So actually when in 2018, when, when I decided to do this business, I also thought I could start playing golf, but I didn't know how to play golf. So I went off and had some golf lessons and then I joined a ladies golf comp every Tuesday. Again, it's because it's social and you say, is it exercise? And I think that it's exercise, even though I might be in a cart, but it's social and yeah, it's getting you out there in the the environment and in enjoying it. And I also belong to a gym. I've just started a new gym now that I'm up on the coast and I just do stretching, Pilates, 
and aquarobics. So they're very, I don't go and do circuits or weightlifting or really fast stuff. It's all very gentle, but I just figure that it's good to keep moving because when you don't move, you seize up. So yeah, so that that's what I do. And also with this business, I can do this. I can actually go to the stretch class at, the, at 10 o'clock in the morning. I don't have, they've got all the young people's programs at six o'clock in the morning because they're doing it before work. So I could go to the more leisurely ones at 10 o'clock. <laughs> Very nice. And you brought up a good aspect of it too, honestly, that we don't talk about as much, but the social aspect of it oh, yeah. and the studies show clearly, which, and this goes back to, again, what we were talking about before of why people can, especially mentally deteriorate in their retirement years. But having that social aspect has a tremendous positive impact on not only your physical, but your mental being. Coffee is a very important part of exercise. After exercise, you go and have coffee with people that you exercised with. (laughs) There we go. Coffee is good for you. As long as you don't load it up with all the sugars and creamers, but. Well, yeah. And that's one of the things that we preach here on the Fit Investor was nobody's got to be perfect at everything, right? What's the important thing is to do something, mm-hmm. is to do something to move yourself forward, whether it's in the financial arena or the physical arena or, or the faith arena. Because yeah, when you stop, like you said, you physically, your body seizes up. It does. You're, when you stop moving, your body atrophies, right? Your muscles shrink, your tendons and your ligaments actually shrink and stiffen. And that's why a lot of people have these aches and pains and, and things like that into their, their older years. But if you keep your body moving, keep your joints lubricated, keeps it, keeps everything just working the way it's supposed to just think, I, I always think of it as like a car. If a car sits in a garage for 20 years without moving, you go to start that thing up. Number one is probably not going to start. Yeah. yeah. Number two, if it does, there's a good chance that it's going to have a lot of issues, right? Things are going to start breaking, needing to be replaced, right? But if that same car was driven every day for those past 20 years, it'd probably be just fine. Right? Well-maintained. So, right, and well-maintained. There you go. So yeah, it's about keeping things moving, keeping things going to help with that physical and mental well-being throughout your life. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because I've found that when I haven't been for a little period for whatever reason, you can't get down and do your shoelaces up so well. You think, I didn't realize how good this exercise was for me because it didn't feel like I was doing anything great at the time. But then if you don't do it for a while, then you actually realized what you can't, what, what, what you can't do and, and that it is working for you and that you need to get back to it. And I think there's a wisdom as well in <laughs> recognizing that there's going to be different stages and, and phases in your life and that, yeah, maybe it isn't prudent to be banging around the weights at a certain season in your life, or maybe that's just not your goal. Finding what works for your body, what, what you enjoy, because that's the other part of it too, is you need to enjoy whatever it is that you're doing. Otherwise, it's going to become a chore and a burden and you're probably going to give up on it. So yeah, finding what works for you, finding what you enjoy, and just being consistent and, and disciplined about it. Those are really the most important aspects of maintaining your physical and, and mental fitness. I do want to emphasize the stretching part, because no matter what age you are, you yeah. may have been able to touch your ch- toes three weeks ago, but if you don't stretch, I think they say it's three weeks, two to three weeks that you will lose your flexibility. And I, for one, am an advocate for it now because 
I've always been very flexible, but like the past two months, I haven't really focused on stretching. And then the other day I was in the gym a couple of weeks ago and I was like, all right, I'm going to get back into my stretching routine. Nah, it was like, I couldn't go down as far as I was. And I was like, wow, it's crazy how you can lose it. And also you're more prone to injury if your muscles can't move with you. Or for example, Karen, if you, for some reason, fell down, you would be more likely to heal faster than you would without working out or anything like that. That's why I say when I get older, I'm going to look forward to it because I'm going to be a little heftier because I need some meat on my bones in case I do fall. So I'm looking forward to that time period in my life. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Some, some good goals I'm there. Look to. <laughs> oh, man. Um, what about the, I know obviously we talked about that prior to this short-term rental career change, you were working in the church uh, industry and in the hospitality industry within the church, but take us through your faith journey. Did you grow up in uh, a Christian household or did you come into Christ later in your life or just take us through that evolution of your life as well? Yeah. So as a young girl, as a little girl, we lived, the church was just at the back of our house and, oh. and I had a little friend who went to church and she invited me. And so I would go, I would, my parents wouldn't come. I would just go to church and that happened right up until probably, I never went to church during my high school years. It was a bit daggy to go to church. And also even as a young adult, I wasn't really interested either, but God was always there. I believed in Jesus. I believed everything, but I never had a relationship. Wasn't until I was a mother and I had a five-year-old and it was Christmas and Raina said to me, as we're out shopping, what's that baby in the hay got to do with Christmas? And I thought, oh my goodness. Actually, now that I'm a mother, it's my responsibility to guide him in religious instruction. So I decided that I would find out about sending him off to Sunday school. So I rang around a few churches. And they said, oh, church starts at 9.30 and Sunday school goes out at 10. And I go, what? I've got to go to church. And they said, oh, that's what happens. You come as a family and then the children go out. And I thought, oh, no, that wasn't really for me. I didn't want to go to church. So when Raina started school, there was a little friend at school who uh, did go to church. And it was the, coming up for the, the big school holidays that we have at Christmas time. And he was handing out leaflets about a program that his church was running. Uh, it was a week-long week -long program. It was free. Um, it had a creche for babies, which I did have a baby. Um, morning tea and everything for mothers and a bit of a talk. And so you could get to meet some mums in the community. And then the children, they had activities and there was a play. And it was a whole morning program. And I thought, oh, that'd be pretty good. We might go along to that and it's free. So we went along and I realized at that point, oh, because prior to that, I might go to church at Christmas and at Easter. I was one of those people because I thought that was important. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so I went along to this church and I, and everybody that was around me had lots of children and they were all in the same age group as I was. And it was a very vibrant church. It was Anglican and I had come from a Church of England background. And so I thought, wow, if I'm going to go to church, 
actually, this wouldn't be a bad church to go to. I even said to the pastor's wife, how, or the minister actually back then, what, why wear to church? Because we used to wear our Sunday best, little hat, little gloves when I was a kid. And she goes, oh, no, you can wear whatever you want. So I thought, oh, okay. So I did. So I started going to church and taking the boys to Sunday school. Oh, the baby, Hayden, he actually ended up being in a crèche, being minded. My husband didn't go to church at the time, but that changed over the years. Yeah, so that's where it started. Girlfriend of mine who started coming to church with me at the same time, she got breast cancer. She ended up dying. And during that time that I traveled with her, she gave her life to the Lord. I didn't understand what that meant, but she actually... She was leaving a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old, and she knew she was going to die, and I just couldn't get my head around it. And she said, God will look after them. And I'm thinking, really? What? You're going to, you know that you're going to die. You know you're going to leave these children, and you have this faith in God that he's going to look after them when you're gone. I just couldn't believe that. Anyway. She did pass away, and and then when I was in when I was sitting in sermons, I felt like the minister was actually looking at me, telling, talking to me, stop looking at me. You can look at everybody else as well. <laughs> anyway, so I then decided that I needed to find. I don't know what a Christian is. I don't know what that means. Am I a Christian? I believe, but am I a Christian? And so I went and asked a lady, what does it mean by being a Christian? And so I think all her Christmases had come at once because she helped me make the move from non-Christian to being a Christian and having God in my life. And then from, and then that was, who would have known that would have been in years to come that I actually would work in the church and that would be a big part of my life. And it was a big part of my social life. My family just said to me things like, don't get too religious on us. They thought I'd become a Bible basher. And then when my mum passed away, she knew she had lung cancer and she knew that she had a very short period of time. She was a Catholic and she, if you asked her, she would say she was a non-practicing Catholic. And her doctor actually spoke to her and said from his experience, he knew that people who died with God in their life actually died better than those that didn't. And I saw that because my mother did start to question and she, 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 she can you say she died? It was actually a very peaceful way where another friend of mine, her father was dying and he was cranky and fighting and abusive, like verbally and everything. And I thought, ah, oh, I could see God and the devil in what was happening in these situations. Yeah. So. The rest is what happened to, happen to the, the children of your friend? Yeah, so they, so their dad never remarried and he looked after them and raised them beautifully. They grew up with their mum being a special person in their life, but they didn't go to church. That was a shame. But yeah, yeah but they grew up to be. But they were taken care of. They were taken care of. She wasn't yeah. home there. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's a beautiful testimony and, and not only yours, but of the, the people in your life that you shared about. And I think that's such a powerful and, and convicting thing. And because we hear, just like you shared, we hear 
of how much our, am I trying to say, how much our lives, the way we live our lives or the way we end our lives can have an impact on the people around us. And those stories that you shared of your friend and, and of your mother, of how they passed in a, a peaceful manner, in a manner that, like you said, you could see a difference of God in their lives versus people without God in their lives as they come to the end of this life. And that alone is such a powerful testimony, right? And yeah. to that, that doctor as well, who was willing to say that, gosh, that's, it's unfortunate. That's not something that's spoken about by many doctors at all, right? So yeah. that, that's a blessing in and of itself right there. And I going back. The word for yeah. it though, like one word to describe all of that right there is peace. Because if you notice the people that believe in God, when they are about to pass, if they have that option to where they're knowing that they're going and it's a long process. At the end, when they're the closest to death, but still alive, every single person is, I'm at peace. I'm ready. I'm okay. And that you can't explain that in earthly terms of how these people come to peace if they know God. And it seems like it goes hands in hand. And I think that's what the doctor is trying to explain. I think everybody that believes in God and accepts him as his Lord, as their Lord and Savior, they're at peace because they know, yes, I'm leaving this earthly world, but I'm going to be living with God. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. And not only from when it comes to, to having that peace at the time of death, but in, in any major tragedy in your life, right? It could be from losing a job or that type of thing. I know in my time, there was certainly once I came to Christ and became more intentional about my faith and things like that, I know that I felt much more peace in my career because I always felt that, you know what, if something happens, if I lose this job, I'll be fine. Yeah. And I'll be fine. And when it came to the time of me leaving my job to pursue the real estate full time, again, I was at total peace with it. There was, there, I was not nervous. I was not scared. It was just the time felt right. And so I think, yeah, having that faith just, again, it spills over in all the different aspects of your life. And the one other thing that kind of strikes me from your story is it almost all goes back to that friend in your childhood, right? Who invited you to go to church with her. And little did she know that those seeds that, that she planted and, and some other people in your life along the way, those seeds that they planted would grow and, and produce fruit, right? And yeah, there are lots of arrows. I can look back and there's lots of arrows that came past that I didn't take up at the time, but they all were working towards what eventually would happen one day. Absolutely. And that's one of the most beautiful things too, that I think every Christian uh, can look back on their life at and, and see those seeds and eventually we'll see those seeds that were planted uh, by people. And those people will probably never know that those seeds that they planted grew. But scripture tells us that it's, it's our job to plant those seeds. It's God's job to water them and, and let them grow and produce fruit. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I was going to say, Taylor, when you posted the other day about your son in your morning spot where you pray or read your devotion, this is a stepping on your toes not for the people that are listening. No matter if it's your child or not, children are always watching. And so Karen from the, the woman that 
she or the child at the time went to church with somebody had taught her about church and what it was. And that's why she was going. And then Karen, when she had kids, she was like, oh my gosh, wait, they're not going to learn this themselves at a young age. I've got to be the one to teach them. And yeah. God planted those seeds. And it was like, she was like, I don't want to go to church. And like, you have to join your child. And so it's pulling at that. And Karen, it was like a grand play. And children are always watching. And whether it's your child or not, it's our job to instill in those children to have that next generation know the same thing that we know. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing in scripture to back this up, but I'm curious if it may be one of the rewards that we do experience when we go to heaven in seeing the fruits of our labor and see the seeds that we planted, which ones did grow. I just, I, I wonder if that may be one of the, the rewards to, to experience that. And it, really it just, quick, you know, Kale, I, before we, we do the three actionable items, since I have to hop off, can yeah. I ask my question really quick? <laughs> can we'll scare one question. Okay, Karen, this wasn't uh, prepped. Nobody knows about this one unless you listen to the, the podcast. But what's your favorite, if you do like pizza, what's your favorite pizza from where and why? From where, did you say? Yeah, like the, your my, favorite so, pizza place. Okay, so I do like gourmet pizzas rather than your chain pizzas like Domino's or Pizza Hut. And I don't really eat pizzas on a regular basis to have a favorite place. So I can't answer that question. But from a, I like prawns on, okay. on my pizza. Really? So prawns and sweet, it's prawns with sweet chili sauce. That sounds I odd to me. Are they like chopped up or like uh, whole pizzas? So the not, no, they're not, they're, they're about, this big? Yeah. Okay. Oh, I thought prawns were like the big ones. You can get different sizes. You can get okay. prawns, king prawns. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, so that's maybe, different. I don't know whether you have that sort of pizza in America. I, I've i never seen it or heard of it, but uh, I'm sure it's around here. I've had a seafood here. pizza before, but it's, not that. So that's interesting. Yeah, prawns, garlic, yeah, sweet chili sauce. That's okay. how it's all made. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, as I know Brenda needs to jump off and it's obviously very late or very early for you, but based on what we've talked about, what are three actionable or practical tips that you could leave our audience with? I think you need to find something that you in, uh, something that brings you pleasure because then it's not a job. If you're enjoying doing what you're doing, then any of the hard things that come along, you, you can put it up with that. So find something that interests you and that you enjoy age is not a number so age is just a number so at any age i'm too young to do that or i'm too old i would say at any age you can jump in some people want to leave things till other till the children grow up you can do things while the children are still around so you can do anything at any age at any time really it's just really your mental attitude and having a, a can-do attitude and keeping God close. Uh, God has helped me through this business, especially through COVID. Kept me, you talked about it before, kept me at peace because when COVID hit and nobody was coming to stay and we're all in lockdowns, I was freaking out. But that didn't last very long because I started 
praying and journaling through that time, probably more than normal. And so I brought God really close and that actually helped me through. And without God, I would, I I got through the other end without my business failing. So it, it was an important part that is that nice. That was excellent. Yeah. I couldn't have summed it up better. And uh, man, I wish We'll be respectful of your time. Otherwise, I'd say I wish we could dive into that journaling and stuff more because that's I think that's a powerful tool as well. And like you said, drawing you closer to God and, and actually putting on paper so you can look back and see the things that's that he's done. That's why I like journaling because you don't know what God's doing until you write down. See, if, if I pray, you can go off on a tangent. But if I'm writing down, I'm, I stay on track. But also I can go back. In weeks forward, I can look back and see how God worked in my life. But if you don't write it down, you're not sure. You can't, you, you might miss that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I did pray about that, and that was answered. And also, God can answer things differently to what you prayed for, but it comes to even a better outcome. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. That's something that I've been meaning to do, and I, I need to start doing it. So you're you're convicting me, and there you go. I'm going to make the commitment. So I'm going to start so, cause I need to, that's a great practice. Karen, thank you so much again for, for staying up late and, and taking the time to, to be here with us and sharing your story. Very inspirational uh, in all aspects. And I'm sure our listeners are going to get some encouragement out of this and look forward to reading your chapter when it comes out and the hospital will host three, I guess, early next year. So we'll be on the lookout for that. And if people want to reach out to you or connect with you or stay with you, what's, what are the best ways to get in touch? So if you go to my website, which is stylishdays.com, and it's got my contact details there as well, my phone number, if you want to speak to me one-on-one. So that's yeah, stylishstays.com.au. All right. Wonderful. Well, be sure to check out Karen and Stylish Stays, and we will see you on another episode of The Fit Investor. Thank Thank you.